Hey, I'm Eric Tolenberg, and welcome to another episode of Maker Stories, where we explore what makes the makers, what they care about, what they grapple with, what they want people to say at their funeral, and everything in between. This week, we talk with Britt Morin, CEO of Britt Co., about the transition from working at Google to running her own company, about becoming a mother in the middle of running that company, and having a sense of privacy when she's literally the face and the name of her company. All right, here's Britt. Talk about the book. Did you think you were always going to write a book? Like, how, how did that all come out? Now, the first sentence of the book is, I never wanted to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly how I felt. I... Um, I wrote what I felt, and then my publisher actually tried to get me to pull that sentence out because they thought it was unfair to publishers everywhere. But, I mean, I came from Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. We all believe in digital apps and blogs and media sites, not about analog books. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I evolved into was under- the understanding that books now have more importance than ever before. They are things that we not only... Um, go back to time and again, but often even leave out on tables and desks and shelves to remind ourselves that there is an analog mm-hmm. world out there because we have become so digital. And it's something that I really want to invest a lot of time into, both as kind of like an art piece and a reference manual, but also like a comprehensive version of all my thoughts of what's happening right. with technology and creativity and the home. And so what do you want readers to most walk away with? I want them to understand how technology has and is still changing the way we live at home and how we can create at home. If you think about my grandma's generation and the 1950s, the biggest innovation was cake mix. Mm-hmm. Um, this was like a huge deal for people because for the first time ever, women who were homemakers didn't have to bake a cake from scratch. They saved time. It's all It all goes back to time savings, actually. For my mom in like the 80s, it was the microwave. Um, and for me, it's the iPhone. I'm able to order all my meals on demand. I get my groceries on demand. I am able to automate my home in many different ways. And so I'm saving time so I could do more stuff that I actually love. Um, and on the flip side of that, self-manufacturing is actually coming into the home and all kinds of cool ways, whether it's um, machines and gadgets that actually help make our food for us or tell Mm -hmm. us when our food is perfectly done, like the June oven just launched or sort of was announced, um, which I'm excited about. And also, you know, 3D printers. Um, I'm an advisor for a company called Electroloom, which is the world's first 3D printer for clothing. Mm -hmm. Um, And the future that if you have one of these in your closet, it might not be 10 years from now, but still the idea you can download a J. Crew sweater from the internet. Um, it's specified to your size because you have a 3D body scan of yourself, and then out, it outputs a sweater for you yeah. in a couple hours. Um, <laughs> that's that's perfectly tailored to yourself. Like that changes not only the fashion industry and retail industry, but also how we live our lives at home, what our closets look like at home, how we get ready for the day. Um, so the book is really, again, very comprehensive about all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. It's also just like a practical book for all the people who grew up without knowing how to do anything at home, um, like a lot of us, <laughs> because yeah. we didn't have home or shop class or parents that were um, around all the time because they were working when we were young. So did you have that? I had that, yeah. My parents, parents were both working. Yeah, I come from like very middle class Texas, like suburban. My mom is a court reporter. My dad um, started from the ground up. He was a car salesman at one point. He was a restaurant manager, and he worked his way to be an executive at USAA, which is one of yeah. the biggest insurance and so What did you think you wanted to do growing up? Um, I like any kid. I had like a million things I wanted to be. Uh, at one point, I like loved animals. So I wanted to be a veterinarian, and then I got really into science, and I really wanted to be a geneticist. I was Were fascinated. You always, like, a super 
Oh yeah, I mean, I was the girl. Only child, middle, uh, Second, ch- uh, two children, just me and a, my brother. Gotcha. I was the baby, um, but I was the girl who was like class president, teacher's pet, perfect attendance, <laughs> like captain of the soccer team, yeah. all of those things. Um, I'm, I like annoy myself saying that because I totally get why other people yeah. would think that about me. But <laughs> in veterinary genetics, I was like oh. fascinated with the human genome project uh, that was going on when I was a teenager. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to be able to mutate our genes and like we can like cure diseases. And yeah. I was said that I was like wanting to be that. And then at one point I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. And then I got to shadow an ACL surgery and saw what goes down when that happens and vomited in the operating room. And I was like, nope, not going to be a doctor. Um, And I started taking computer science classes and got really into tech and knew that I wanted to just come to Silicon Valley and um, work in tech. This was, yeah, early 2000s. So I graduated high school with almost two years of college credits and graduated college early and just moved straight to Silicon Valley. Were a lot of girls doing this at the time? or No, I mean, there are two girls in my computer right. science class. <laughs> and so that just came naturally? Like, how did you think about yeah. that at the time? Um, I thought it would, it was like a really interesting class to yeah. me. Um, I preferred a computer class to like a history class or anything like that. I just thought that was much more interesting. And yeah, I mean, having guys around didn't really bother me. It was just... Like, I didn't have many girlfriends in the class, so it wasn't as fun socially. And so you moved to Silicon Valley right after college. Is that mm-hmm. when you started Google then? Apple. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started Apple, and then I went to Google, and gotcha. then I left and started Britain Co. And did you, at this time, did you know you wanted to start something, and you were just getting big company experience? First? No, yeah, just big company experience. Um, Google, I tell people, was like the best MBA I could ever have. Mm-hmm. Actually, starting a company is probably the best MBA mm-hmm. I could ever have. Yeah. Um, but at Google, they give so much autonomy and responsibility to like 22-year-olds that yeah. um, I was I had multi-million-dollar budgets that I could do what I thought was smart with, um, and I do think I, I made a good a few good smart decisions there. Um, you know, I had report direct reports when I was 23 and 24. I was meeting with the CEO of like Sony and Logitech, um, and I think the most interesting product I worked on was YouTube, um, yeah. and then within YouTube. We launched Google TV, and so it was the first real hardware product other than Android um, that Google launched, and really was about that um, intersection of cable operators and TV networks and content providers coming together and digitizing their content, and um, I was so highly exposed to the media world at that point, and the incumbents and how slow they were and how they they literally didn't believe me when I told them that internet video was going to be a really big deal over the next few years and that they needed to get on board early. Um, fast forward to 2015 and it's like the only thing yeah. people are talking about right now. <laughs> so. so it's 2010, 2011. Are you thinking, hey, I have this one idea in mind? Or are you thinking, hey, I'm restless, I got to start something? Uh, how, how does Brit go about? I was thinking I'm... T- 25 now, because remember I started early. I was like 20 when I came to Silicon Valley. Um, I've got a few years of experience. I kind of get how this place rolls. I have no kids at the time, no husband. Like, have good. I've saved enough money from working at these places. Like, I should take a risk and just start something. Um, But I decided to take a few months off before I did that to just kind of reset myself. And that's when I joined Tech Shop, which is just opening up in San Francisco. It's like a gem for making things. You pay a hundred bucks a month. You can come in anytime and use like crazy machines ranging from laser cutters and 3D printers to 
enormous shop bots and like wood saws and then to like sewing machines um, and screen printers so you can make t-shirts and I was just there all the time making stuff and what I realized was I had no idea how to use these machines but there's such a low barrier to entry because I knew how to use a computer and I knew how to use Photoshop and Illustrator to design stuff. Um, all I needed to do was design something in Illustrator, press a button and it literally exported on a piece of wood in the laser cutter mm-hmm. and like my mind just exploded at that point. I had so many ideas of what I wanted to make and all these different things I could do and and such a low cost to entry and instead of going out and buying all this stuff at big retail stores I would just make it and I could customize it and all my friends my girlfriends would come up to me and say like wow you're so creative how did you do that and I was like I'm not actually like well first of all like why aren't you creative and second like I just learned this it was like it's not hard and why can't you do it too and um I just saw that most adults, um, women specifically, have a lot of insecurities with their creative confidence. Mm -hmm. And it became a mission of mine to try to resurrect that in them. Because when we were all little kids, we had no fear with anything Mm -hmm. creative. And all of a sudden, we turned to be adults and we we can't draw, we can't paint, we can't make anything, we can't cook. Like, we become afraid. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's why Brit & Co. started. And I think it's so awesome to fall into that organically. I was actually in the middle of starting a tech and fitness, or sorry, a health and fitness tech company. I had a co-founder. We were about to raise a seed round. What tech? And we were doing, um, we had a whole alpha built. Um, We had, it was like a body analytics platform. So we would measure everything that you ate and drank and all of your workouts and everything like that was like mint, remember the old mint, um, for your body. Um, And I was super into that because I I do care about people being healthy, obviously, but this felt so much more innate to who I was. And Mm. I sort of recollected everything in my life that teed up to this point. And the fact that it was so mission-based and also just like the wave was coming I could feel this happening in society it wasn't just me like Pinterest had just launched and DIY was the top category it was all millennial women like Mm -hmm. going crazy over like knitted scarves and stuff and um, there was nobody serving them with this there's like kind of traditional media companies like Martha Stewart and the Food Network and HGTV Mm -hmm. and um, otherwise there was nothing Um, and I just felt like we could build a a new type of business that would both give these women the tools they need both physically and digitally um, and also connect them with one another as a community. How different was the first iteration from what we see today? First iteration um, was much different well in the sense that the the business strategy was different. So we always wanted to have uh, a content strategy built in. To I, From what I learned at YouTube, like the reach you can get from creating a media company is just huge. Um, and if you can get an audience to trust you and market to them for free, you can get them to do what you sort of want them to do from a business perspective. What I initially wanted them to do is to download a suite of different apps. We were going to make an app for weddings for home for different types of like life moments that were all about creativity and and do it yourself um what we found though was that the content site just started growing faster than we thought and so i took my engineers off of building apps and put them onto 
optimizing the site and audience development and uh, engagement and all of those things and building like a legitimate media company first and figuring mm-hmm. out how we would monetize it later. Um, and uh, Sounds yeah, <laughs> as many start seed yeah. round startups do. Um, but that was, you know, that was like within our first year. And I don't think if I would have made that decision, we would be where we're at today. Mm-hmm. How would you, if you can go back to where, uh, and I know there's no regrets, but if you can go back right you know, 2011, knowing what you know now, what would you would you do anything differently? Um, I would have trusted my instincts f- faster. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's true what they say. Like especially, it's every every instinct from like knowing when your users are telling you something yeah. or the data is telling you something, and you should probably like figure out how to pivot into that, especially when you're in your first year. Um, secondly if there are people that just aren't right for your team, like how to move away from those yeah. people faster. We didn't, we haven't had like much churn or anything at all, but I think uh, I had never had to like fire people before. And, yeah. and so making sure that we were um, just hiring faster and smarter and better every time, um, especially in your first year or two is really important. There's uh, over the last few years, there's been a lot about like when people talk about minorities in tech or, or women in tech that, like role models is the most um, helpful way, like obvious yeah. examples that people can point to and think, hey, I could be like them. Yeah. Were you thinking at this point that, hey, I, I wish I had someone like that for myself and maybe I could be like that for, for other people? Or Yeah, I mean, uh, at that time, sort of still now, it's like Cheryl and Marissa yeah. are like the two women yeah. that people know in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. And I'm um, so grateful to know them both. Mm-hmm. And Marissa has, has, was one of my ma- managers at Google and taught me a lot there. And, um, I do think that there are many other women who should be just as like spotlighted as those two. But there's also this new generation of women yeah. who are sort of turning 30 or mm-hmm. like late 20s, early 30s, who will be those women over the next few years. You're already seeing so many of them. I don't know if you know the company LearnVest, Alexa von yeah. Tobel mm-hmm. just sold it for $275 million. She's in New York. She's in New York. Yeah. yeah, like she started, I remember when she was telling me she was going to start that, I was like, huh, that's an interesting idea. Um, yeah. And I didn't even really understand it. And it's like 2008, 2009. And um, you're seeing Miriam, the founder of Minted, just like mm-hmm. crush it. Like there's just yeah. so many cool women out there doing amazing things. Birchbox, oh my gosh, yeah. those girls are awesome. They're friends of mine. So I do think that other women our age but also these women and even young girls into like middle school and high school and college age levels are aspiring to to be entrepreneurs as well and and some women are like oh i I don't want to talk about it i just kind of of let my example Mm -hmm. you know be the story are you in that camp or are you in a different camp um to be an example for others oh i mean if I can be, awesome. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Like, we need more women right. to be examples. So I'm happy to be. I often have young girls shadow me at work um, mm. just to learn, like, how I operate and what kinds of meetings I'm in all day and the types of decisions I have to make. And they get like they get yeah. to see, like, the real world of a CEO and a startup. Right. So it's really fascinating for them. As a young CEO, and this is something we think about a lot as we're growing our team, what did you say, hey, I'm really good at? Um, and what did you say? Hey, I need to hire for this. Like, I should be focusing on this. Mm. I need, you know, these people to yeah. help me out. It's a great question. I, um, and you tend to think you're, like, you're good at a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's probably the first the first um, learning point. It's like there's always someone. Like I'm a generalist, I would say. I feel like I'm good at a lot of things. But Are a lot of founders generalists? I, I 
so, um, unless you're like a technical founder, then you're obviously a specialist, but hiring, I think I'm good at product design. Um, and I did that a lot at Google and Apple, but like when you hire a really good product designer, you're like, Oh crap, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, and, and the same thing for like in the beginning, I was writing everything and I've never been a journalist, but, um, I think I write well and uh, I take good photos, but when you hire like a amazing photographer and an amazing writer, it's like, okay, you're going to let them take it. So what's cool about being the CEO though, especially from of a startup is that you get to do every job um, Mm -hmm. before someone else does it. So you innately have a respect for those people and the job that they do, but at the same time you can sort of help them overcome challenges and roadblocks. The stuff I really don't like um, are like, HR operations, finance. Um, we just brought on a CFO who's awesome, and and it, like I used to always also have to be like the bad guys. Like people are like, oh, we should we should do team lunches for it's only like twenty dollars a person. And I have to be like, I don't know, like we're gonna we're tight on our budget, and now yeah. I can just be like mm, Nicole gets to decide. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm never the bad funny. guy anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. we have something too. Everyone be like, can I get my product and product on? And then we just have this like European guy. Yeah. And he comes in and he's like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to sometimes when I was so small, I used to fake it. So I'd be like, um, like people would pitch me all the time yeah. to write about them. And I'd be like, oh, I need to consult with my editorial yeah, team. <laughs> I'm like, I am the editorial team. Yeah. So I'd be back and like, unfortunately, our editorial team has decided like it's not a right, great fit for us. I have a lot of friends who literally would just CC like a fake person, like a fake uh, account. And smart. then answer from them. <laughs> like, sorry, yeah. we can't hire this or whatever it is. I love that. Um, but yeah, no, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so how big is the team right now? There's like 65 total. Wow. Yeah. So how, you know, we're 18, we're thinking about, and we're already facing our own growing pains. Mm -hmm. How have you thought about, you know, scaling? Like what are some of the biggest things as CEO you've had to Every um, startup CEO that's gone from 50 to 150 and above has cautioned me that 50 to 150 is like doomsday in startup Mm -hmm. land. Um, It's a period where for some reason, like our, literally there's science that our brains can't comprehend more than 150 social nodes. And that it's the point of an organization where clicks start forming and people start questioning one another and questioning the executive team and like people withhold information because they think it's power um, instead of just sharing it because you're all working on the same team together and um, everyone wants to report to the CEO. There's so many different things that go on. Um, I I had a team offsite last week and legitimately just straight up addressed all of that with them. It's like, here's the list of things that's going to happen in the next year or two as we scale. Like, let's just put it on the table. Let's be aware that's going to happen. I'm not saying that we're going to fix it all ahead of time, but like, we're a community, we're a team, we need to have each other's backs. Um, and I do think that a lot of companies fail, not because they don't have product traction, but because they don't have team traction. Yeah. Um, that their team isn't fully supportive of one another internally. We have such an amazing culture at Britain Co. though, I'm like honestly not super worried about it. Like we put, we have a mission-based culture, first of all. We, we're a company that's all about creativity and playfulness yeah. um, and innovation. Like. And we hire people that really believe in that and that have that character type too. So I think it's something to the people you hire. I I would say I've also seen a lot of startups hire just the smartest and most talented people they could find. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a mistake. Um, Obviously, you should hire really smart, talented people. But like if they don't match your culture and really, truly believe your mission, uh, it's not going to work. Those are the people that are going to not trust you when you're in a hard time and they're just going to walk. And that like causes this domino effect of people that will leave the company. Like they also don't trust you. It's just, you're putting weeds in the organization as soon as you do that. If, 
when Brit Co. achieves its mission, what, what does that look like? Um, oh, that's a great question. I feel like it's such a huge mountain because creativity is inside of everyone, and yet you know we do massive amounts of survey data and research, especially on adults and their creative confidence. It's like seventy-seven percent don't think that they're creative. So I feel like it's a huge um, mission, but I, I feel like um, creativity to me is, especially lately I've been studying it, uh, the science behind creativity and how it affects the brain. It's actually like a muscle in your brain that can be trained and that when trained um, and when exercised gives you the same types of benefits as meditation or actual exercise like jogging and working mm-hmm. out. Um, so to me, like the perfect world is, you know, if we're being told to go to exercise at least two to three times a week and to meditate, you know, a couple times a week, human adults will be in a state of knowing they just need to do something creative two to three times a week. Like they right. need to set aside an hour for that just as they would um, to go work out. So yeah. success then is that they are more fulfilled, happier, more productive at work because those are all benefits of creativity. Mm-hmm. When you when we talk about kind of like the self-help space, how do you think about how do I not be kind of... Uh, Dr. You, Phil? Yeah. I know. I know. It's like really cheesy. Um, I don't want to be Dr. Phil. That would suck. Um <laughs> I wouldn't look good with a mustache, I don't think. But, <laughs> but self help is a weird category. I don't Are you even... like a big fan of Oprah? Okay, yeah. Oprah. <laughs> you know, one question I love to ask people I'll ask you this. Sure. If you could have dinner with four people in the world, they have to be alive, who would those four people be? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, the people I find myself most admiring, and maybe this is because they're also the most reclusive and it'd be really hard to have dinner with, and I feel like I've had dinner with some people I really admired. In like text based, uh, are novelists. Oh. Uh, I feel that they just get something that other people don't. Like who? Uh, Jonathan Franzen, he wrote Freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Persig wrote Zen, The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and his, mm. is like notoriously reclusive. Um, but otherwise, I mean, like the obvious answer is like Obama. Right. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of And yeah. Obama's also like a novelist too. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. Um, but I, yeah, people who've written something. I don't know, sometimes I feel, I meet, like, really artists that I really admire, and then it's like, it, this connection is not as strong as when I listen to their thing mm. as opposed to when I talk to them. Right. I don't know, it's, it's a tough question for me. Yeah. Um, but it isn't like, uh, it isn't like Zuckerberg or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it tells you a lot about a person, though. Yeah, yeah um, When people select people you wouldn't think of, it makes me wonder yeah. if they're actually doing what they're meant to do in life, you That's know? That's interesting. Um, yeah, what's, what's... Yeah, it's really interesting, right? Because the question for me is like, should I be a novelist? Or like, I don't know, we help novelists. Yeah. <laughs> what is uh, what is your answer? Well, like you brought up Oprah because because Oprah is like one of the people on my table. Yeah. I just think it's 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 I'm fascinated with the brand she's built, the longevity of what she's done, the way she can engage people. Um, it, there's the authenticity behind. Yeah. I truly believe she's authentic. Yeah. Um, the media, obviously, like what she's built in media and. Um, so she just fascinates me in so many ways. And it's, it's people like that, like Taylor Swift also fascinates me. Yeah. Not because, I mean, yes, I like her music, but it's like the, it's the brand and the person and like yeah. the communities and, um, which is why I know I'm doing what I'm meant to do because of those are the people, also the Pope is at my table, but that's, that's a different awesome. topic. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, like, yeah, I want, I know that I'm definitely meant to be in sort of this community driven, 
new media brand space, um, especially it resonates with women. Mm-hmm. When you have an audience, you're kind of responsible to that audience in some capacity. Yeah. And I think when someone has a cause, like that really, and you do, that, I mean, that, that really helps. But I would, how do I make sure that my ego isn't like getting in the way? Yeah. And also just this balance between like private life and public life. And yeah. as public life gets really big, how do you balance and make sure that, totally. that you have, how have you thought about this yeah. over time? Um, I think, especially when I was initially starting this, people looked at me like I wanted to just be a celebrity or something, mm-hmm. and that's not the case at all. It's, it's, I wasn't trying to, to start a company to, to be that. I put my name and my face in the brand because from when I was at YouTube, um, this generation wants to connect with real yeah. people. Yeah. They don't want to be sold to or talked to from a brand. Like They want to know there's a pulse on the other side of Twitter and Instagram yeah. and like whatever place you're reaching them. And I'm also squarely in the demographic of the women we're trying to reach. Um, I why can't I like become friends with these women and actually like tell them my story and relate to them in some way? Um, but the co is about the community. It's all yeah. of the designers and makers and artists and inventors who are just like me um, and might be better suited to be yeah. more accessible and relatable to the to our community. I don't know. Um, I just felt like it. It also kept me authentic. Um, it kept the brand authentic. Like there have been sponsorships and like deals that we've turned down because it just didn't jive with me and my specific beliefs. And um, I I think that helps you maintain that authenticity for years and years. How about the balance between public and, and private life uh, and just and time and have you thought about that? Yeah, I mean that's gotten a little bit weird too. Like sometimes I'll be in an airport or something and mm-hmm. someone's tw- someone like on Twitter is like just saw at Brit at the airport and I'm like who told right. me at the airport like I totally am wearing sweats right now um it's so you have a baby you have your yeah your family's with you yeah. it's um I mean I guess like I mean I don't think of myself as like famous or anything yeah. but um you have to just be cautious too that I don't know you don't know who everyone is at the yeah. airport but uh I think that it the benefits outweigh the cost if that yeah. makes sense and um for what we're trying to build as a company. Yeah. Like I could see Britain Co existing similar to Oprah for yeah. decades. Um, mm-hmm. And I would love that because I truly love what I do and I love the people we get to reach and connect yeah. with. And when people do see me in an airport, I actually want them to come up and talk to me because right. like that's meaningful. I'm like, how do you even know me in Britain? Co-? Like that's amazing. And I feel right. like, like it's like a testament to yeah. success. So, and, and it's amazing. And I, I th- I'm curious, as a, like, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have Oprah at my dinner table, but I probably would have her at the microphone if you ask the same question. Like, because I think it's so. Curious. Wait, there's a microphone at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you could say, who would you want to interview? Yeah, uh, I, think, uh, I think it's fascinating when someone is that. Famous, that's that's what my dinner is. It's just an interview. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when someone is that famous, it's like everything they say has to be shaded by like all the different constituencies they're responsible for. Yeah. And it, it becomes hard to say what you really think if what you really think offend someone right in any way right is that fair um um, in an interview format or is it fair like is it like and so i wonder you know when people start asking we are not famous in any capacity but they're like we are responsible we have people who if we say something you know people will get offended and they will listen and and that compromises some personal oh i see so because if you say something it reflects on the brand essentially Yeah. yeah Absolutely. I mean, um, Tina Sharkey, who's one of my board members, and um, she's the former 
CEO uh, of Baby Center, which mm-hmm. was like the biggest site for moms for 10 years. Um, she, the best piece of advice she ever gave me is the one ever I answer when anyone asks me what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given, which was, which is you only have one reputation. Wow. And um, you can't, you have to be so careful yeah. with what you say and, and what you do. And uh, people will remember, you yeah. know, and it can tarnish you. Like I mean, you like do. Paula Dean, um, you yeah. know, as an example. And I don't know what's happening with Donald Trump right now, but it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. it, it really does. Um, I think genuinely, if you maintain um, hard work and, and if you're always trying to be a good person that's trying to do good for other people, um, yes, you can put your foot in your mouth and you can maybe look stupid sometimes, yeah. but. Um, that I think still precedes everything else you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You become a mother last year. Yes. How has that changed your workflow? Yeah. <laughs> or just just yeah. like a gentleman, how have you thought about that? Yeah, I know. Well, I, um, I learned I'm not good at not working. So I didn't really, I tried to sort of take a little mini maternity leave, but that didn't really work out so well because babies also sleep a lot when they're first born. And, um, anyways, I, I've learned to restructure my time though and, um, prioritize, Ruthlessly, as Cheryl Sandberg would say, yeah. I um, I also have a work block in place um, every day from usually nine to one. It's my work block, so yeah. I'm just trying to actually get stuff done. Um, one to five is my meeting block, and then I'm out of the office at five. Um, and sometimes I'm like literally one of the first to leave my whole company. And some CEOs would think that that's probably weird and hard and like why aren't you staying till like 10 like the other engineers and everyone else but um i think it sets an example that family is still first even when you know you're in the startup um doesn't mean i don't put the baby to bed at seven and get back online until 10 or 11 um but it means that i'm leaving the office to go be with my family for at least an hour or two what do you think is, is your core competence or what you're uniquely best at? Maybe that's like a combination of skills or perspectives, but... Oh, have you taken the Myers-Briggs test? <laughs> I know, um, really? Yeah. Oh, you totally have to do this. Um, I'm really good at synthesizing a lot of data and making a really quick decision. Um, and, and I think getting people to agree, um, I, I'm pretty good at taking others' opinions, um, synthesizing that data, developing a decision. That's not just me telling people the decision, but it's as if we're right. all making it together. Did the test tell you that? Huh? Did the test tell you that? Or what does that do? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, my five competent, my, so I guess I can tell you my five strengths, yeah. <laughs> according to my respect. Um, achiever, competitive, woo, which is winning others over, uh, futuristic, and strategic. Okay. <laughs> so it tells you a little bit about and you we were talking about you've been achiever as long as you remember yeah I'm like the crazy over achiever well, girl. Uh, so I <laughs> I haven't been achiever but I've been I've wanted to be an achiever as long as I really remember. were you what type of grades did you make in school like B plus always really? B plus yeah I, I, I didn't oh, see I thought you were an A minus type of guy that's A minus <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. not all the way A plus but yeah. A minus oh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's still A is that a bad kind of compliment no I think it's great <laughs> I, I just never I, uh, like I was gave it eighty. I was always like doing my own stuff, yeah. And uh, just I knew as a young, from a young age that adults really didn't know what they were talking about, mm. and so I was. I mean, but I also I thought I knew what I was talking about, so I was like, "Why do we have to learn math?" Yeah. <laughs> They're like, "Math is very important for a lot of reasons." But yeah. It was never like explained. Like I didn't care. I didn't get my internal, um, uh, like sense of uh, success from grades. What did you get it from? Uh, like, was I 
I would make my own goals and I would try to achieve them. And I, as a kid, I was trying to make the NBA and I didn't achieve it, but I got, I was pretty good at basketball. Oh, <laughs> and then, okay. uh, and then I, I wanted to be a coach and then I got like pretty far uh, in that. Like I've always said, like, or I wanted to be really good at X skill yeah. that I'm not naturally good at, but yeah. if I can get kind of good at that, I would be really impressed with myself. Yeah. Um, and then I was like very systematic in how I, I did that. Um, but I, I always had this ever since I was a kid, when I was like seven years old, I was like, I'm gonna make the NBA, I'm gonna play basketball two hours a day. And that was because I was a middle child. I, like my siblings were super talented, effortlessly. What's the deal with the middle child thing? Like, yeah. what what are the repercussions? Um, basically, that you uh, you you're like independent because no one <laughs> pays attention to you. That <laughs> uh, you kind of devise your own ways of, of fitting in, uh, but you really long for love, and you uh, you know are like you have something to prove. Yeah, you really have something to prove. Yeah. Uh, but I just knew that school wasn't the way that I was. And then I got to college and I was like, oh man, these are huge lecture halls that have nothing, I said economics, that nothing to do with it. And my parents were also immigrants, so they had kind of their own expectations of what the world is like and what yeah. the film is like. Um, did you did you totally jive with your parents in terms of like expectations? of? No, I'm like Mrs. Like stubborn and independent girl. Yeah. And um, even from the time I was like a little girl, I, they just knew they couldn't tell me what to do. And I would always like, I was never bad. So yeah. they just at some point let me do my thing and let me make my own decisions and um luckily I chose like the smart decisions I was never the like sneak out of the house and go like get wasted high school yeah. kid I um you know I was I was like on the, yeah. <laughs> the, the student council um so um but my parents yeah they, I think they they generally gave me a lot of trust and independence which was nice where do you think your something to prove comes from hmm it's a good question no, that's a great question. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe the fact, like, my parents were, my mom is from a little town called Abilene, yeah. Texas. She she didn't even go to real college. She went to a court reporting school and has been a court reporter her whole life. Um, my dad, like I said, um, was from, at first, a very wealthy family. They went bankrupt. He was, like, on his way into college and then had to just completely oh. drop out and work at a restaurant and he had to sell his car and build a car on his own, a little DIY in there, um, <laughs> and uh, and start from the bottom and build up. So I think part of it was like, can I prove that I can be successful out of the gate and not have to go from like zero to hundred by really jumping ahead of college, like getting a good first job, um, and starting to get and and sort of build my own future. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, do you ever feel that there will be a point where you, or is it, does something prove ever go away? I don't think so. Yeah. Especially not with my personality. Yeah. <laughs> There's always something more. Do you do like yoga? <laughs> to calm down? Meditate. Are you yeah. calling me like. <laughs> hmm, I'm, I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> I do creative stuff, which again yeah, goes back to like meditation. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I yeah, no, I chill out. You know what's funny? I actually think having a baby chills you out more than it stresses you out yeah. because like the moments of calm when you're just with them, you have to put away your phone and everything and just yeah. like be. It's like my digital detox um, is when I'm like putting my baby to sleep every day, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. So so that's really that's like my form of of meditation and yoga. I do do yoga though. <laughs> yeah. What um what am I not asking you that I should be asking you that would be that you oh, have an interesting kind question. of perspective on? Um, we just launched so we just launched a foundation last month called That's the right. I Am Creative Foundation, and um, what's cool about it is like no, like we didn't put a ton of money into this foundation because we're a startup and don't have a ton of money, but I do feel like more startups should either have a foundation or like partner with a foundation and figure out how what they're doing 
can also be a way of giving back. So, uh, I don't think that you can be too small necessarily to be in a position to give back, even if that's just with your time. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that we're all like we're startups. We're trying to like build as fast as possible, and we're working crazy hours. But um, even in those like crazy hectic days when everything seems to be going wrong, it's like something that you can be doing that's totally separate from your business. That's but still related, and yeah. it will always feel good. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think the hardest part about being a startup is that the emotional yeah. highs and lows, especially in the, like the first. 18 months, I think, are just, like, ridiculous. You have to figure out how to navigate the mountains and the valleys. And how have you, how have you historically dealt with it? You know, is it, like, a CEO coach? Is it a person that you go to? Is I'm a CEO coach, um, which has been helpful, but I've just had to, I mean, I feel like I got, like, hit over and over again in the face um, and had to just, like, learn to take it, um, especially when you're the face of your brand. Yeah. Like, it's not easy. Um, mm. People, you're putting yourself out there. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew that going into it, but, like, I would say, like, I actually, in general, it's been, like, far more positive than I even expected. Yeah. Um, but, like, when people, you don't want anyone to be upset with you for yeah. any reason or anyone to dislike you. And I'm such a, like, people pleaser in general yeah. that, like, that really affected me in the beginning. Um, Especially when you're public. People, I mean, no matter how many people love you. There will be some people that would just say negative things. Yeah. They'll just be haters. Yeah. Um, do, you even, do you read that stuff? Like, how do you, and even when we've had it just a little bit, like, come on, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, you, like, want to go take them aside and yeah. go to coffee and, like, explain it's yourself. Really it's, like, it's not really scalable to do that. Um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you handle it? Yeah. Um, it goes back to what I said before. It's, like, if you truly believe, like, what you're yeah. doing is the right thing, you have a good mission, you're a good person, you're only trying to do something that's good for the world, like... I don't think anyone can really bring you down too far. But at the same time, I think the other slaps in the face, apart from, like, people being negative towards you, is just, like, if you have a bad day of traffic or something like that, and you're like, oh, my God, is my business failing? Like, are my investors going to hate me? Like, um, and... And so I've learned one of the, the like analogies I use is to be a waffle instead of being spaghetti. Um, so you, you just have to compartmentalize all those emotions and like be able to like flip a switch from being like, okay, like someone just said something or I just looked at our analytics and that was like really crappy, but I'm gonna like go into this meeting and kill it and like land the steal or whatever it is. Um, if you're spaghetti, like all of those emotions flow right. together. Um, so you just have to compartmentalize as best yeah, you can. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you? And when you talk to, well, first talk more about the foundation. What are the goals yeah. of the foundation? What, how, what are yeah. you actually doing? Um, so once we learned that women don't think they're creative, <laughs> we decided to launch the I Am Creative Foundation. Um, and I Am Creative is a, uh, we're giving grants up to $15,000 to women and girls for big creative pursuits that they want to achieve. We have a dozen um, advisors ranging from um, famous designers like Rebecca Minkoff and Lauren Conrad to the CEO of Crayola, the CMO of GE and Motorola and Home Depot and um, so many awesome people, CMO of Facebook even, um, to help these women and girls like start new companies, like build new things, change the world in some way um, and tap into their creativity. Yeah. What do you think is the, uh, I mean, you were mentioned earlier that you're going to see a lot more women uh, being lauded for their successes. Mm-hmm. How is in the next you know, 10, or, 10 or so years, how's the work world going to change for, for women? Well, maybe we'll have a female president, so that should yeah. be interesting. Um, 
I'm really excited about the potential of that and how, you know, actually now women, I mean, 75% of women aged 25 to 44 are in the workforce already. So it's not about entering the workforce anymore. It's about kind of equalizing the executive teams of the workforce and the compensation um, between men and women and also just women in STEM and yeah. computer science and Silicon Valley in general. So those are, I think, the big areas that women can still achieve. Are women going to have kids later? That's an interesting question. And you know, it's funny, like Marissa Meyer is a, is a mentor of mine. She um, waited to have her first kid. At, I think she was like 37. I was, I had mine at 28. Um, and I was really nervous when I found out I was pregnant. I wasn't necessarily trying yet. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, is like my company going to collapse? Like what's going right. to happen? Um it was totally fine. Yeah. It was, everything was fine. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I actually feel more structured now than before. Yeah. Having a kid fundamentally changes everything about the way you perceive people and life. And I, if I would have died for some reason, like if I hit by a bus before I had a kid, I would have like totally regretted yeah. not having this experience. So doing it earlier is totally fine. I think more women need to know that. But if I'm, if I'm a young woman right now, I'm, I'm 25, would, would you, <laughs> you say... Look, you look very nice. Yeah. <laughs> would you say uh, just whatever, when the time is right, or, or be open, would you say wait it out if if, if I was if yeah. I was you at 25 or just whatever? Go for it. Yeah, yeah. go for it. Whenever you want to have a family, yeah. go for it. I mean, I'm like, how many kids do I want? Like, and, how many do you want? I don't know. I'm thinking two or three, but now you freaked me out with the middle child uh, syndrome, so maybe I need to have... Yeah. Does it count when it, Are the two middle middle children, we have four? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. I, I just... Uh, I, I think four is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Two or four. No, but I mean, I turned out okay. <laughs> I, I, I tend to have, a, I really like middle children. I like, really? I have a sympathy with them. Like Do I middle children marry middle children? Is I don't know, thing? but I tend to be into them. <laughs> I tend to date. If you're a middle child out there. Oh, this is a new social network, yeah, I think. Yeah. Put oh, it on Product Hunt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the middle children social network. It's oh, like Tinder amazing. just for middle children. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Got it. Um, Okay, well, we just came up with a great idea. Yeah, I think that's number one tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, awesome. When you talk to young women that are just out of college, yep, um, and who, you know, want a blueprint or whatever, like, what do you do? You tell them to work at a big company. Who want to do what you're doing? Do you tell them to work at a big company? Do you tell them to start something? Um, yeah. Well, we I either tell them to work at a big company and just understand how that world works. At the same time, if they are open to ambiguity. Working at a startup, there's no better MBA you can get than just like having to do a thousand roles at once and going from like small to big and fast growth. Um, So I think working at a startup is awesome, but I see women, we've hired some and men um, who try to join a startup when they're 22 or 23 and get totally freaked out by not having a guide of what they're supposed to be doing. So if you're one of those people, go to the big company first and then come to a startup. But if not, if you are open to risk and like crazy, hectic, like fast paced life, like go to a startup because you will learn more faster. Yeah. Um, Is there anything you want to uh, leave the listeners with or you want to plug or just talk about in general? Plug? Yeah, plug. (laughs) No. Well, if you're not already using Britain Co., you should. Um, no, they, uh, I think you know there are a variety of, of resources we offer for any anyone who wants to be more creative, whether it's you know finding inspiration through the content and projects we have to offer to um, taking classes online and actually 
buying products from other makers or even selling your own product if you are a maker on our platform. Um, we just acquired SnapGuide too, yeah. which is really cool. It was my first acquisition I've ever done, which is a neat experience. Um, and SnapGuide is this awesome app and website you can use to create any sort of how-to guide of anything. Um, and it's, talk a little bit about what's it like for a for a startup to acquire another startup. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, we're acquiring a company. I feel yeah. like Google right now. Um, <laughs> um well, it's really easy if the other startup is into it yeah. with you, right? Um, if they're not, then it's not less easy. Um, is it kind of like dating? Is everything kind of like dating? Um, no. For me, it was like, this totally makes sense. Okay. We've like, this accelerates our product roadmap. We wanted to build this anyways. Um, they're so beloved by their community. Apple literally pre-installs their app on every device mm-hmm. in every Apple store. So it's like their design and product is amazing. Um, so it was really like once me and their, uh, founder, Daniel agreed to the terms, it was just about making sure our investors agreed. And then the lawyers just had like a thousand contracts they had to get through. Um, but other than that, it was, it was pretty straightforward. And, um, our, our, both of our communities were so excited about the news. It was like, oh, this makes total sense. Like, I love it, like perfect, you know, Snapguide lives on, we're like, we're keeping yeah. it alive, it's its own thing still, um, Britain Co. is even stronger, has a stronger network, has a user, user-generated user content tool, like, it was a win-win, awesome. so it totally worked out. Cool, so uh, last, where can people find you online and, uh, and get the book? Sure, um, I am at Brit on basically every social network, and the book is on Amazon, it's called Homemakers, which is a little play on words there. And uh, our website is Brit.co. Perfect. We'll see uh, all of that on product soon. Thanks, Brit. Thank you.